0: communities that put emphasis on it now are much further ahead than the communities that just simply quote they are going to do it in the future.
1: Welcome to episode 363 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Mountain Connect is one of Christopher's favorite events. He and other experts, advocates, and professionals gather together in Colorado in the summers. And if he's lucky, Christopher can record a few interviews for the podcast. This week, we're sharing his conversation with Brian Worthen, CEO of Mammoth Networks. Brian and Christopher discuss the different services Mammoth offers and some of the discoveries they've made about operating in sparsely populated places where the geography varies. They also discuss some of the projects that Mammoth has been working on, including Project Thor, which will connect existing and new fiber in northwest Colorado for better connectivity in the region. Other topics the guys discuss include federal versus local rural broadband efforts, Connect America Funding, Utilities and Cooperatives, and Low Earth Orbit Satellites. Here's Christopher with Mammoth Network's Brian Worthen, recorded in Dillon, Colorado at 2019's Mountain Connect.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and today I'm talking to Brian Worthen with Mammoth Networks. Yes, that's Wait, correct, Chris. That was a question, because all of a sudden I was, I just think of you as mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know that you're not a muffin from Perkins. so <laughs> Mammoth Networks, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You come out of uh, Wyoming, but you're spread out um, on a lot of the West, it seems like. So just give us a sense of what Mammoth does.
0: Mammoth is a wholesaler to other ISPs. It's uh, Wisps, Selex, small cable companies, small phone companies. We've actually carved out this niche over the last 10 years, uh, helping people navigate the rural broadband market. They've uh, been in this position where there's a there's a slight amount of competition But they they haven't had access, our customers haven't had access to affordable backhaul options to major peering points, uh, to peer with Netflix or Apple or Microsoft, uh, and and they've been limited in choices. And so we've been working for the last 10 years to expand on those choices, Uh, most often actually leasing uh, our customers' underlying transport from multiple entities and and piecing that together in sort of a a patchwork quilt-type environment.
2: And so do you do any last mile services yourself in any situations?
0: Yeah, we actually grew up in Wyoming, and we started with five dial-up lines in the basement. And so we uh, we embraced DSL and wireless in 2000. So we developed both those platforms uh, in in uh, at the same time. And what's interesting about that is we it's it forced us to be a uh, agnostic with regards to the technology. And we've always looked at that uh, as a benefit in in the, in the past. Now the the impetus is more uh, towards fiber and less less emphasis on uh, on copper. Uh, but it's still, in our eyes, it's still a hybrid solution in rural America, where there's fiber in the core or the business corridor and
2: wireless serving the county area. Now, when you're doing these these long haul or, or the middle mile networks, you're using a combination of technologies, right? Yeah, we're
0: utilizing uh, utility fiber. We're using uh, Department of Transportation fiber, uh, pieces that have been laid before by other uh, CLECs. And uh, obviously, the the phone company fiber that that was funded years and years ago, and that and that exists in the ground. So, what are the
2: prices like in Wyoming? Are you able to be cost competitive with you know the sort of um, more metro areas or suburban areas in terms of those long haul prices? I think in Wyoming and in all rural markets, there's actually an issue with the
0: amount of customer base you can you can put on a network and so you cannot focus on businesses or residential uh, especially in Wyoming with less than 600,000 people we have to take all types of business oil field, uh, coal mines uh, you know the downtown business districts residential uh, and we're having to use a combination of fiber uh, wireless copper anything we can do to reach out to that customer and without that entire customer base rural America can't actually stand on its own
2: right so one of the one of the networks that we've been fascinated by and we're going to have an upcoming episode talking to is Rio Blanco um, in the northwest part of Colorado quite rural uh, you've been involved with with that project uh, first providing backhaul you said um, so tell us what you what you're doing in that situation yeah in Colorado there's a really interesting phenomenon going on where uh,
0: municipalities and cities, counties are getting into the broadband game and Rio Blanco is interesting because we they hired us to handle their backhaul and we built the route diverse uh, network through Rio Blanco County uh, to serve them with backbone and the take rate in that county has exceeded, far exceeded anything that Google experienced or, or a number of providers have experienced and I think a lot of that because of the size of the communities. The word got out, the, the, there
2: was a, a need for everyone to participate and they did. Well, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, my understanding was they forecast, what, like 35%, 40%, and they had 80%-ish in the first year? Yeah, Just, they, they achieved 80% take rate really yeah, quickly. That's unheard of. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. And so it's a good thing you guys were there to be able to make sure they could haul, haul all that out to major internet exchange points. Yeah,
0: they, we, and we're excited to be a pro- part of that project. The fact that we can take them to major peering points and hand them uh, Netflix and Apple and, and Microsoft and other, other peers was really beneficial to the community. And it, it gave us a win as well you know, to be involved with that.
2: What does it mean to do that in terms of connecting? If we just use that as an example or if there's a better example that you'd like to use, what do you have to do? in order to get a fiber or some sort of high-quality um, you know, pipe effectively. It might be a wireless solution, but something to get to them. Do you just sit down with a map and GIS layers and look at where you can lease fiber? Do you start building it all? I mean, were you already very close to them? Like, how do you, how do you do the, go about doing that? Mammoth has been
0: beneficial on a number of fronts for us in understanding the, the wholesale landscape. It, it, we still have this retail operation in Wyoming. Uh, but mammoth has given us an ability to to understand more of what's going on in the american west and over the years we've not only picked up uh knowledge from uh from employees of other companies we have people on staff that used to used to service the old touch american network in montana we have people on staff that understood colorado rather well and so when we put all of our heads together we started mapping out this fiber infrastructure that really is unmapped uh and and the larger entities, or what what's been known as the larger ISPs, that you know, because it's such a competitive environment between telco and, and cable, uh, these aren't published. But we've been able to piece that together with just logic, and mm-hmm. sometimes we have to order and in trial and error. Uh, but we've we've made a map of the Rockies of what what's good for redundancy and and what routes exist. And it's it's shocking how much there actually is in
2: the ground that's underutilized. We've, we've been surprised by that. So when you actually have to build, are you able to get on poles, or are you mostly going underground? What do you, what do you have to look at in, in, to get this done? we're pivoting again this year this i think this is our sixth pivot
0: since uh (laughs) 1994 a couple Um,
2: more in the nba might accuse you of taking our travel that's
0: right (laughs) that's what keeps us young and and keeps us uh challenged and makes makes work interesting but we're on our sixth pivot this year uh three or four years ago we just had three or four trucks in the field and now we have 30 bucket trucks we have uh splicing trailers and whatnot and right now we're going through this process and we have for the last 18 months of working on right away easement franchise agreements and whatnot so we're just now getting to the point where we're going to be building
2: more fiber, not only in a last mile, but in a middle mile format. So in my, I mean, I think most people think of Wyoming, you know, they think of the Grand Tetons, they think mountain passes, uh, what is it actually like building in Wyoming, though? Is it just a mixture of things, or is there a predominant way that you construct?
0: Wyoming's a mixture. In the, in the uh, northwest corner, you have the Tetons and Yellowstone, and it's very mountainous and, and high elevation. In the southwest, it's desert, high desert. Uh, and in the east, it's rolling plains, and uh, it's, it's high country. Uh, so actually, it's, it's not too bad to build. Uh, especially to build wireless and then to build fiber and wyoming's accommodated fiber builds rather well uh, they opened up YDOT dot right away for fiber builders and they came up with a concept where uh, the conduit could be shared or subleased out from the original build so they're they're keeping the right away clean but allowing for uh, fiber expansion which ultimately translates into cellular expansion wireless broadband expansion but the the terrain is really similar to Colorado you know Colorado is two different types of terrain. There's, there's mountains, and then there's these, the, the plains to the east. Mm-hmm. And so Colorado's like that, northern, northern New Mexico, uh, southeast Montana. So these are good places to build. Uh, you know, With our efforts in, in the western slope of Colorado, we're seeing more challenging terrain, and we've started adopting more uh, technologies such as LTE, uh, EBS, CBRS, and deploying technologies that, that uh, penetrate tree coverage and, and uh, uh, deliver
2: service in very mountainous regions. So I want to switch to talking about the word utility, which for some ISPs uh, makes them nervous. Um, you know, there's, everyone has a different, I think, definition of, of what it means. But you've given this a lot of thought over the years. And so I'm curious, when I say the word utility in relation to broadband Internet access, what, what do you think of?
0: Utilities are just now getting into the broadband game. Longmont was a good example. They built that, uh, they built that fiber network in Colorado, Longmont, Colorado, uh, using their, their own utility lines and, and uh, access to their poles. Uh, you're seeing a transformation right now because utilities are seeing this as a cooperative effort. Uh, broadband is a cooperative effort. Uh, just like power was back in the day, or water, or my brother in his neighborhood just three or four years ago, he and his neighbors got together and built their own gas line to, to meet the gas company. Before that, they were on hmm. propane. So right. th- this co-op exists, this cooperative effort it still exists, and what I believe is... The utilities are now looking at at broadband as a way to not only monitor their substations, monitor uh, meters, uh, but deliver to their co-op members because their members are frustrated, just like most of rural America is frustrated. There's not a lot of investment from the telco. Uh, the cable companies would rather spend time in the in the Denvers and Seattle's and Phoenixes of the world, uh, or of the nation. But the bottom line is the the uh, rural communities uh, because. Most utilities are co-op. They their members are are asking for for their help. Just mm-hmm. like in some communities, their their constituents are asking for them to get into that game. Um, and so, I actually believe uh, when we talked last year, I believe utilities had a had a big play. And that's mostly because the USDA and RUS programs uh, provide 20-year lending to utilities. Mm-hmm. To compete with a company that has 20-year lending, I can borrow on a three-year, a five-year, a 10-year span. But that's a different ballgame altogether, and so they they do have a, a unique advantage right now because they have poles. Easements are obviously an issue, mm-hmm. uh, where they don't have a utility easement; they only have a power easement. But some states are changing that. Indiana's changing that. Colorado just introduced legislation to change that. So I think there's going to be a a turning point here shortly where utilities are getting more in the game, or uh and we've had a number of discussions with utilities lately where they partner with someone like us to power the network and after all they're a power company um ip change management notifications uh cell phone providers being on the network that's a different ball game and so i could see a number of utilities
2: either getting into that uh, arena or Mm -hmm. partnering with someone like us so let me ask you this as someone this is totally coming out of left field um i don't know if i should say left field or right field it's it's coming from far away though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you have a really good sense, I think, of not only what's happening out there and how in some areas there's good service. In many areas we need a lot of investment in, in places like Wyoming and in the rural parts of Wyoming. And there's other, I think there's a lot of expectation that in 2020 we're going to see a lot of pe- candidates running on this uh, on broadband because it's a popular issue to at least talk about. I have kind of a counterintuitive reaction that a lot of the people that I, I, I admire, I think, would disagree with, which is like, I feel like Wyoming just set up a pretty good program that I think you like uh, for how they're getting some of the funds out there. They're taking it seriously. Most states are investing, I think, too little, but states are investing more. I don't know that we need the federal government to try to, like, figure out how to create whole new departments or figuring out, like, a massive new programs. I'd like to see the candidates in 2020 fixing other problems that only the federal government can deal with because I think the utilities the states can can take a big chunk out of this problem. What do you think about them? do you think I'm crazy?
0: I think you're you're spot on and I actually think it's more local than that. So there's a city effort, there's a county effort, there's a state effort and a federal. Uh the federal effort it it the mapping is a problem. You know, we're we're funding programs like CAF2 was just funded. Uh, for for areas of the country. And you know, we actually bid uh, five different counties in Wyoming, and we served in, in most of those counties almost 80% on average. And there's some blocks we served 100% of.
2: You mean before that auction? Before the auction. Before and the Connect so America Fund Ultimately, auction.
0: Yeah. the U.S. government is, is funding... Areas where there actually is broadband and these are areas where we provide 50 and 100 meg services already wirelessly 15 miles out of town Uh, And it was frustrating to watch because of the mapping and the and the most frustrating part about that is Providers like us send in accurate maps to within three feet, right? It's all GPS coordinates uh, twice a year and so that information obviously is getting distorted or or Mm -hmm. is stale and so funding additional federal programs I don't think is the answer. And I think it's actually a hyper-local type answer. Mm -hmm. The involvement with the local community and partnering with them in such a way to get access to right away, everybody gets the same agreement. I'm not saying there's some uniqueness there. But in the end, the, the providers of broadband in the future are going to be four different types of companies are going to be a cable company that actually wants to spend money in the local market they're going to be utility uh... they're going to be a city or municipality or they're going to be a competitive provider like us And it'll be some mixture of those the, the phone company will be out of that you're starting to see the phone companies sell off their exchanges uh... but it involves hyper local uh... communication collaboration uh, some cities are utilities, therefore you can have access to their poles. Some cities uh, really are beholden or, or supportive of their local cable provider. And so the broadband of the future is going to be controlled at a local level in, in the uh, collaborative environment. And the cities and counties will be a huge part of that, uh, you know, a huge driver for that. And in some cases, you know, the larger the community, there's going to be some more lobbying for retention of this duopoly that exists. But I think that funding's going to happen at, at even a local level, not just a state level. There's a lot of states putting, putting uh, funds together to fund broadband. Where none exists, there's. We just went into Ophir, Colorado. We pulled a one gig circuit into Ophir, and they did it. The community actually opted to do two mile, do a two mile uh, fiber build in from this fiber line. And so, there's a there's a community of 70 homes, no gas station, mm-hmm. no, no grocery store, uh, and it, and it's really mind blowing to to think there's communities like that that still exist. And those communities are being overlooked at the federal level, but the state level they're being funded in Wyoming, mm-hmm. Colorado, and others.
2: Yeah, I I have to say that part of my reaction, I feel like. If this was a period of like the seventies and eighties where interest rates were really high and you couldn't like local governments and states couldn't borrow at reasonable rates to to set up these programs, um, then it might be different. Then you looked at the federal government. Right now, I feel like. There's ways—I mean, in Minnesota, we've seen counties that are working with local providers, often cooperatives, to uh, extend their networks from the neighboring county over into theirs. And the cost is—it's it's quite expensive for a county that has 7,000 know, people in it. Bonding for a few million dollars to expand broadband is a major deal, but they're able to do it. Right. And they're, and they're putting importance on it. That's the, that's that's, the big that's, thing. That's, I think, the key. Yeah, exactly. I just feel like there's so many people who are like, this is so important. We need the federal government to do it. And the reaction should be: This is so important. We can do it without like having to worry about how the federal government might get it wrong. All the incredible paperwork one has to go through to access access right. that money. Right. Um, you know, There's just. I feel like there's all kinds of challenges. And I, you know, I'm I'm not in a knee jerk. Well, I'm a little bit of a knee jerk anti federal government <laughs> kind of person. But but I just feel like you know there's so many things that that only washington can deal with trying to heal and fix in this country and and it should be focused on those and I'm, I'm worried that states feel like they're just looking to the federal government to do it for them when they could be doing things themselves
0: i can't tell you how many meetings i've been in at a at a city or a county or a state level where i hear the word they are going to do this mm-hmm. and i ask who who, who are they there's two crowds in the broadband world. There's a crowd that says, we're just going to build this and roll up their sleeves and do it. Mm -hmm. And then there's another crowd and they're composed of the uneducated rural markets that assume somebody out there is, is vying for that is, Mm -hmm. is wanting to create a, to create a business or a broadband plant in, in their community. And actually broad broadband in rural America is going to be a hedge against urbanization and is going to be, It's going to be focused on farming, first responders, you know, the the most rural of businesses that have Mm. to be in those locations. And communities that put emphasis on it now are much further ahead than the communities that just simply, quote, they are going to do it in the future.
2: So, what's changed in the last year or two that kind of blows your mind? You know, if you look back to our conversation a year ago, which was very focused on utilities, and for people who are wondering, it was a conversation you and I had, and it wasn't recorded unfortunately, so, um, you know, but we talked about a number of these issues, and I'm curious, you know, has anything popped up that that surprises you, going in a direction you didn't expect?
0: I think there's a couple things. One is the advent and introduction of millimeter wave. It's huge. Uh, there's this whole 5G umbrella that covers so many different technologies, but the actual technology around millimeter wave in the 60 to 80 gigahertz range has uh, allowing us to feed... Uh, wireless towers 15 miles out of town, 5 miles out of town, with high bandwidth. And I thought
2: those ranges didn't work on those. So I, this is where I get a little bit confused. I mean, at that point, I thought you had to deal with um, the, the waves were so small. Are you just able to amplify it at such an extent? Regenerate. It's oh. like fiber, right? Okay. In
0: the end, you regenerate it. We've got some we've got some uh, microwave shots uh, up uh, from Rock Springs to Pinedale that are 60 miles uh, using licensed frequencies in mm-hmm. the 11 gigahertz and, and 6 gigahertz range.
2: Wait, but those aren't using millimeter waves, are they? No. No,
0: no. The, the I, I'm thinking of one tower specifically. It's actually 15 miles east of my office, and it, we we bought an easement on a, a private landowner's uh, plot, and we put up a put up a tower. And at night, I think it pumps 1.6 gigs to the internet mm-hmm. at peak. So it's a very rural area and purely purely residential housing. And it's got that kind of traffic. Well, I can't backhaul that with traditional licensed microwave. And so I've actually found a high point uh, within three and a quarter miles to that that specific tower. And we're feeding that with 10 gig synchronous. So it's fiber-like speeds over a millimeter wave.
2: And that technology has just come into play in the last 12 months. So when we talk about 5G and the challenges, I'm just – and a lot of us are talking about how, like, the way the, the 5G small cells are set up in suburban neighborhoods and things like that. It really only goes, like, hundreds of feet. Is that a different wavelength or is that a power issue?
0: It's a multi-point issue, and it's also the the nature of the of the wavelength itself. And so, you're you're going to see millimeter wave in a downtown environment or along a street in a multi-point configuration lasting no more than an eighth of a mile. It's just the nature of the beast. And so, the the fact that the fact that so many communities are now now looking at this. That's another big change. The, so many you know, FCCs addressed that with their small cell order, but so many communities are actually enacting ordinances because they they've not been prepared for this. There's going to be a wave of small cells that are on literally every block mm-hmm. throughout the community, and it's going to feed cellular. It's going to feed data to the surrounding areas. It's going to feed other towers. Uh, that's that's what wireless is is now is cell towers feeding other cell towers. There's 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 one out of five that are fighting and the other four come off that tower there's this daisy chain effect but in order to achieve that with millimeter wave your your point-to-point is a three and a quarter three and a half mile maybe Um, and then your your multi point is simply limited to an eighth of a mile max
2: okay the last question that I I have that I feel like is the biggest challenge for me on wireless solutions is I feel like it cannot be a carrier of last resort Because there's always people who are in an inconvenient location relative to the tower and cannot get service. And the question in my mind is, is the alternative, if we're going to embrace that technology as the the main technology for an area, um, do we just say that those houses' value will go to zero and those people will move? Um, Or or am I underestimating the ability of wireless to ultimately serve 100% of people in a given area?
0: I think fixed wireless broadband, which is is what I assume you're talking about, is... Is highly evolved at this point, but it's only going to get better. Uh, I, of course, in, in this world, everything is fiber first, but you cannot build fiber to every farmhouse. I visited uh, someone in Kansas recently and, and saw them doing just that at Do you want $70 to make a, bet? a month.
2: 15 years, 20 years? <laughs> we could. We could. But you
0: know, the, 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 I, I view wireless in, in our company, within our company, we view wireless as a stopgap. Mm -hmm. until fiber technologies get cheaper right away, gets easier to access, and easements are perfected. And so it's a a great stopgap
2: solution for rural America. But you do see it then able to, over time, I mean, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, because five years ago I was a skeptic. I mean, at that point... I would say most people's interactions with WISPs were the kind of WISPs who were well-meaning people who were a bit technical and put up something to try and solve a problem and then expanded perhaps beyond their capacity. And so people often associate with WISPs a sense of, oh, it's going to be less than a megabit. It's going to be you know, uh, unreliable, that is not the situation for, for a lot of wisps today, particularly ones that have a reputation like yours, um, like Vista Beam, you know, Netblazer, Starry, there's all um, obviously in San Francisco, monkey brains i have written a lot about. Um, so it's not surprising to hear you say that I, I still sort of, um, wonder about the ability for it to like hit that person on the wrong side of the hill
0: yeah there, there's always going to be that, going to be that challenge because the person wants to live on that side of the hill, and there's a certain quality mm-hmm. of life associated with that and broadband is a necessity, but these are the same uh, folks that have overhead power lines, and so sooner or later they'll have overhead fiber into their mm-hmm. into their location even if it can't be trenched in at the, at the cost of of trenching or underground. The fact of the matter is there's there's people placing their homes where they want to live, and there's a certain rural residential market that wants acreage. They want to be spread out. Mm-hmm. And fiber to the home in those situations is not readily available now. It will be. But these, t- in our view, the towers of the future will feed these customers until fiber gets there. And so you've got a fiber fed tower along a main county road that can feed customers 15 miles both directions. And the, you're going to see in the next 24 months gigabit speeds over wireless. It's really? going to happen. Okay. It just requires more towers.
2: I want to ask you about uh, low-Earth orbit satellites. And I'm curious, is is the worst-case scenario that low-Earth orbit satellites are basically good enough to kind of fracture the market to make it harder for you to get the take rates you need to be able to make these investments, but it's not good enough to solve the problem for everyone? Is that is that a potential scenario here coming out?
0: I, I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to go actually back to your last question. Sure.
2: I've seen something in- interesting in the
0: wireless in the last 12 months. You talked about wireless providers being... Questionable, or the the market not trusting them because of past performance, and that's because wireless providers traditionally have been paging guys, two-way radio guys. They they've not been internet providers, and so for us to offer wireless is actually interesting because there's a lot of providers out there that are just now starting up wireless ISPs with with no IP knowledge, no technical knowledge. They they're tower companies. They've owned they own structures, and they're doing it because their neighbors want that. And so there's actually not a lot of fixed wireless. ISPs that are of size. But the most interesting thing to me in the last year in the wireless space is, uh, in addition to, to to millimeter wave, is the fact that small telcos are getting in that space, and so are utilities. Right. So for those companies to start adopting fixed wireless technology, they're realizing the power of reaching out into rural markets.
2: Absolutely. And it's the same philosophy in many ways from what you were mentioning earlier in terms of Seeing it as, uh, we're not going to do this forever, perhaps. We're going to reevaluate maybe after five years.
0: Right, right. So, low-Earth orbit satellites. I think low Earth orbit satellites have potential to disrupt the market. Uh, we're just now seeing in the wireless world people moving off satellite or Wild Blue or other, you know, Hughes or other technologies. Yeah, the big
2: f- fixed geostationary right. satellites, where
0: where they are paying a fixed fee per month and then overages, which mm-hmm. in the in an environment where you're watching all your content online and and potentially in the in in the near future gaming online, that's not long-term viable solution, satellite communications, where there's charges for overages. This, this low-earth uh, solution with that number of satellites has a lot of potential to disrupt the market, but their pricing plan has to be fixed and it has to it has to be heavy download if it's not it's not going to change the market but it has a potential to to better serve rural america which there's guys like us trying to trying to do our best in rural america funding stuff out of our own pocket and there's there's 4000 wisps in the us there there's a number of people working towards that end and that market's going to be just disrupted there's security there's latency and then there's the fact that this this uh, satellite technology may actually delve into the, the old model of charging for overages or charging for too much bandwidth, and that remains to be seen.
2: I just realized that I, I meant to start this off by asking you about the award that you were just a, a part of winning with Project Thor. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about Project Thor and, and the, the, the award that Jeff Golinski and Mountain Connect just bestowed upon you?
0: Yeah, I was excited about that. I, it was a surprise as a provider, especially a private provider, we, in the past, have focused on uh, profit and using that profit to expand our business. And it's all about reinvestment. But we we chose to participate in municipal and, and public-private partnerships because we could either sit on the sidelines or, or work together. And so our first public-private partnership was in uh, Route County in Steamboat, and we partnered with the city, the county, the utility, the hospital, and the school district and built uh, worked with them to build an eight-mile fiber run and we had diverse routes out of the community, and that was the first time that's happened. Uh, so this ski community, at peak season, could process credit cards no matter of one direction is down or another. And in the summertime, that, that's construction season, and you always worry about your fiber in construction season because mm-hmm. they're along the highway. So we, we've been working in Route County for three or four years on this project and uh, achieved a certain level of reliability that we're very proud of. Uh, This expanded over the last two or three years into Project Thor, and so we we came up with the concept of using uh, lit services and dark services along a circular path from Denver north through through, uh, Route County down to Grand Junction and back to Denver and involving the communities in that, and we're simply operating the network and allowing them to be an open access network where the communities then can be a provider themselves they can choose to partner with a local provider they can sell it to the local cable company they they have their choice in doing what they want we're just operating the network for them but to date there's nine communities that have signed up for this to operate a 100 gig ring through northern colorado or northwest colorado so we're excited to be a part of the project it's uh, going to be a hefty amount of work over the next 12 months but it was exciting also to to see jeff give us props uh, during Mountain Connect this year,
2: yeah. Well, Brian, I really appreciate uh, getting caught up. I I really admire the way I think that you take an all all hands on board approach in recognizing that. You know there's a state as vast as Wyoming you know we don't have to sort of just pick one um, solution and and go with that but that we can work together and and find different ways of getting this job done
0: yeah we view we view broadband in rural markets in Wyoming specifically as sprinkling you know, we want to sprinkle and see where the seeds sprout and then we want to continue to feed that so uh, that's how we operate our business and we, we think about things as affecting our neighbors or impacting our neighbors positively and uh, we're excited to be a part of that. You know, when we talk about this internally, we don't talk about, hey, we provide broadband to rural America. We're helping, we're helping ranchers trade cattle. We're helping firefighters fight fires. We, uh, we're helping planes land. That's the way we talk about it. And, that, and that's why my staff is so excited about broadband, and they will be.
1: That was Brian Worthen from Mammoth Networks, visiting with Christopher at the 2019 Mountain Connect Conference in Dillon, Colorado. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at Muni Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed to Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to Episode 363 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast.